<clears throat> We're turning now to the book of Colossians and chapter 3. Let's read from the third chapter of Colossians. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, that is, uh, lusts, evil lusts after the things of the world, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, or evil speaking, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer, and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us the door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Amen. We'll just leave the reading there. We give thanks 
to the Lord that we are able to read it so openly uh, and in company one with another. Let's bow our heads and ask help. Our Father, as we come before thee this evening, we pray for the help and strength of the Holy Ghost. We pray, Lord, that your spirit may come upon me to give me words that I might speak that which is right and that which is an encouragement and that which is truth. And Lord, we pray that you would bless each one who is gathered here and give understanding hearts that they might come to hear what the Lord hath to say. I'm not thinking that this is just the opinion of a man, but that they might know the words of the Lord. And Father, we pray that if there are to be wandering minds here this evening, that they might wander down paths of righteousness, that they might wander down the paths of the scripture. And Lord, we pray that our thoughts might be brought into captivity of the scripture and of the Holy Ghost. Bless us, we pray thee, and minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm to take a text from the portion uh, here. I think it would probably be the first verse of chapter 3, where we read, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. I want to consider the, the portion and uh, particularly that verse, of course, we, in three points here this evening. First of all, the position uh, affirmed, if ye then be risen with Christ, our personal affections, uh, they are uh, those things that we are to seek, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And then finally and shortly, uh, the practical application of those things as the apostle gives it to us so first of all then to consider the position which is affirmed here if ye then be risen with christ of course this is resurrection sunday uh, this is the day on which we remember the resurrection of christ uh, as we were saying this morning it's not commanded in the scripture that we should keep this time this easter time as we have done over many centuries now but nevertheless as we do keep it let's consider the resurrection of christ And let's consider what it is that we have in that resurrection. I was speaking this morning and we uh, came to that point and and I was saying that really the gospel writers don't say an awful lot about the physical resurrection of Christ. They make it plain that it happened and they speak something about those who went and found the tomb empty and the door open and the fact that the the garments that he was buried in and the napkin that was about his face were still there and therefore we can see that he wasn't just snatched away uh, certainly the disciples if they were going to snatch him away wouldn't have hung about if to uh, unwrap him and carefully fold up the napkin that was about his face Uh, But they would have snatched him away and done that somewhere in private where they couldn't be found. Especially as they had already run, hadn't they, uh, away from uh, the the authorities. Remember that they all uh, ran from him when he was taken in the garden. And then also uh, we saw uh, that, that those things were, well, they were there because it's very important. Uh, I'm not going to preach this morning's message again, but they they were very important. But the thing which is taken up in the New Testament isn't the physical resurrection of Christ so much as the uh, the effects of it, the spiritual aspect of it. 
and how the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ apply to us. It is a continuing purpose of God that we, as we read there in Romans, should be buried with Christ in baptism, raised again in Christ unto newness of life. And this is the thought which the Apostle Paul is taking up once again. If ye be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above. He is saying here, if you are trusting in Christ, if you believe in the death and resurrection of Christ, if you are trusting that he has borne away your sin and you have, as it were, died in Christ and you have been raised again because you are still here upon this earth, your sins have been dealt with, that judgment which you would have faced at the end of your life, standing before the judgment seat of Christ, you have already stood before the judgment seat of Christ when you met him in your repentance and in your conviction of sin and you cried to him, Lord, save me. And we died on that day. The old flesh was dealt with on that day. And now we are risen together with Christ and set in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the apostle says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Now the question then, first of all, which is posed to us is our state. If we examine our state, can we say and fit ourselves in with this uh, understanding which Paul has of saying, yes, I am risen with Christ. I have met with Christ. I met with him on that day where I came under the conviction of sin. I realized I was a sinner, that I needed to be saved. I needed to be forgiven. I cried out to the Savior on that day, and I cried to the Lord, Lord, forgive me my sin. Take not my life from me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Send me not to the destruction of hell. Lord, deliver me and draw me to yourself. And can you say that? And you remember that time. You may not know what, when it was. You may not be able to say, well, on this particular day, this was what it was, and, or in this particular place, and I could take you there today if the place is still standing and say, I was saved in that position. I was saved in that pew. You may not be able to do that. But if you're a Christian, then you can say, I came to Christ and I was convicted of sin. I met with him in judgment. And he convicted me that I was guilty and that I was lost and that I needed salvation. And while I still lived upon this earth, the scripture says that we are able to be saved. And I cried out to God and I said, Lord, save me. Lord, deliver me. Can we say that? Can you say that? Otherwise, you're still in your sin and that judgment is yet to come. You have not met with Christ as yet. You have not dealt with that sin as yet. Then that time is still to come. And it will come. Please God that it might come while you live upon this earth. Because once that time comes when you pass from this scene of time and you stand before God. Then the gospel route is closed. There is no more mercy. There is only the judgment of God. And that which you have chosen to the world rather than Christ will be your final choice and you will be cast away from his presence. But do you know Christ? That's the question posed here. 
If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And have we embraced that salvation? A second question which is posed to us. Have we embraced the salvation which Christ has, has in, 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 endued us with? That, that Christ has said to us, yes, I will have you as my child. You will be my friend and I will walk with you. Have we embraced that and said, I will strive to overcome the old nature? Those things which I was convicted of, that old sin which, which was going to take me to hell. I don't want anything to do with that anymore. I want to walk in righteousness. I want to walk in the pleasing of my Savior. I want to be thankful in all the things that I do for this so great salvation. Have you embraced salvation? The apostle is dealing with that very situation here. And he is saying to the Colossians, have you embraced salvation? If you are risen with Christ... Have you actually understood? Have you actually comprehended what you have in Christ? That you can seek those things which are above. Set your affections on those things. And we can say also in this position, which is affirmed by the apostle of being risen with Christ, there are qualities which we possess. The first of those qualities, perhaps we could say, is freedom. In chapter 2 here and verse 13, we read this, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, that is, made alive, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Having forgiven you all trespasses. And the point, of course, which he continues on to say is the point of the cross. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. It is Christ who has borne the judgment. He has taken it for us, that we might be free. And that freedom is ours. We are free now to walk with God, to walk with Christ. We are no longer in bondage to sin. We are freed from the bondage of sin and we are freed from the bondage of the law which makes that sin all the more evident we are free to walk in righteousness then also the qualities which we possess we find in verse 4 of chapter 3 for it says when christ who is our life shall appear then shall ye also appear with him in glory so the second of the qualities then is life it is eternal life. It is a newness of life. Jesus says, I came, come to give them life, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Because it is an eternal life. Because that life is Christ's life. Because we were buried with him into his death by baptism into him. That is, again, just to remind you, not a water baptism, which is a symbol of this baptism into Christ but we were baptized into his death we shared death with him and then in his resurrection we are raised together with him as we read in Ephesians raised together with him and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus we have a life and this life is a new life it is an everlasting life it is a life which is founded in Christ 
And Christ is eternal. We have that life of his. So the qualities we have, freedom. We are free from the judgment of sin. We are free from the power of sin, as we read uh, there from Romans. Uh, Reckon yourselves dead indeed unto sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. And also we have a life which is eternal and a life whose power is Christ himself. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, I am the life. And again he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And thirdly, of the qualities that we possess, we have peace. In chapter 3, once again, this time in verse 15, we read, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. The peace of God. Not just the peace of God, but peace with God. We are at peace with God. Because our sin has been dealt with. Because the judgment which was ours, Christ has taken it and he has shown us mercy. And he has redeemed us and given us a new life. And he has borne upon himself our sin. We have a peace then. A peace with God and the peace of God. And the apostle says, let that peace rule in your heart. Let it preside. My margin has Let the peace of God preside or arbitrate in your hearts. That is that if we are Christ's, then we should be at peace with the things that we do. If you are Christ's, when we sin, we know that we have sinned. We know that we have failed. It it grabs hold of us. It, It bites us like a serpent. And we are saddened and grieved at that sin. But let us live at peace with God and let it be the arbiter of our of our lives and then also in the qualities we possess through this position being risen with Christ is the scripture verse 16 of chapter 3 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and here we have a, a tremendous thing. I, I, I don't know uh, what your experience is pers- personally, of course, but I remember when the scriptures just suddenly came alive to me. It was a bit like the apostles who, whose minds it seemed closed to the Old Testament until Christ opened their minds that they should understand the scriptures. And he did so after his resurrection. And we saw the verse this morning. He opened their minds that they should understand the scriptures. And if you're Christ, then the Lord has opened your mind that you should understand the scriptures. So strive to do it. Here here is a, a, a tremendous blessing. When you open up the word and you're just reading through a chapter and all of a sudden there is a, there is a, a realization of what is being said there, which you hadn't seen before. It always been a kind of a, a closed book and really complicated and we really couldn't get hold of it at all. And there will remain parts which are still complicated. And as you begin to understand the scripture, there will be many parts which are far too complicated. But as you continue to read, slowly they will open as well. And door after door will open, comprehension after comprehension will open, and you'll begin to understand more and more of the scriptures as you grow in grace. We begin as a little child. We desire the sincere milk of the word. As Paul writes, or as the writer to the Hebrew writes, 
the Hebrews writes uh, that you should be ready for strong meat and you're still drinking milk. Are you still drinking milk? Do you understand the scriptures? Are you getting into the word? Are you hiding it in your heart? Because this is a quality which God has given you if you are risen in Christ. You can understand the scriptures. And the scriptures can be opened to you. And the scriptures, therefore, will guide you and lead you. And the apostle Paul says here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. A wise understanding and application of the word of God. And then secondly, after this position affirmed, our personal affections. And this is what the apostle is coming to. And it's interesting that he needs to do this because sometimes, you know, when we, when we first get saved, we think that everything's going to change. There'll be no more troubles. There'll be no more difficulties. We won't sin anymore. And we're going to be perfect. We're going to be the best Christians who have ever lived because we have come to that place of judgment. And sometimes a terror has taken hold of our hearts, a terror of hell, a terror of the judgment of God. Uh, and we don't want anything to do with sin anymore. And then we find that sin still dwells with us. And when we would be good, we find evil is present with us. And that which we would do, we don't do. And that which we don't want to do, we find that we do. And, and it gets us down and it gets us uh, depressed. But where are our affections? The apostle says to these people and to us, he says, if ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. In the book of James, it just comes to mind, and in uh, chapter 3, James chapter 3, we read there in verse 13, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or behavior his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So there is a wisdom which is from below and there is a wisdom which is from above. And if we are risen with Christ, let's seek that wisdom which is from above. And let that wisdom apply also the scriptures to us. The beginning of wisdom, of course, is the fear of God. What of our personal affections then? Well, the first thing we can say uh, as we read of this seeking those things which are above is that God has empowered us that we might seek those things. The apostle is not saying to them, do something which is impossible for them. But he says, if you are risen with Christ, then you, are, you have freedom, you have life, you have peace, and you have the scriptures. So seek the things which are above. You can do this and you should be doing it. And you should be seeking the Lord and you should be growing in grace and in understanding so that you can be men. In understanding, be men. We read this morning from Ephesians 1 and verse 18. Perhaps we'll read that uh, again if you have your Bible there. Uh, Ephesians, uh, it's just uh, two books before Colossians. 
So uh, we have Philippians in between and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, I recommend if we read more than a verse that uh, we look it up and, and follow it in the scripture. It tells us there in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 1, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body <clears throat> the fullness of him that that filleth all in all in chapter 2 and verse 6 and it says or chapter 5 uh, chapter 2 and verse Five, it says, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he has empowered us, therefore. He has empowered us to seek the things which are above, because he has raised us up together with Christ, and made us sit together with Christ. So we are able to comprehend, and we are able to know the blessings of God, and the joy of the Lord, and those things are given to us. Our personal affections then should be moved by the Spirit of God to seek the things which are above. And there will always be in every Christian some part of a seeking of the blessing of God. Even if we're backslidden, still we will desire the blessing of God. And though it may be pressed down by our iniquities, though it be pressed down by our wanderings back into the world and our desires for the things of the world, yet still there is down there within our hearts this desire to know God. And God will draw us back. And he may draw us back a hard road. If you are truly Christ, he will not let go of you. He will bring you back. But sometimes it can be a hard path that he brings us through that we might learn so we have an empowerment. But then the, the apostle says that there needs to be an execution. An execution. In verse 5 it says mortify or put to death therefore your members which are upon the earth. Your members are, well your body, those things that you do in this world. Put those things to death. You have died with Christ spiritually but you still have this old flesh. And you still have to deal with it. And so he says, mortify it. Control it. Put to death every lust which arises in the mind and in the heart. And in the end, and we've said this a few times uh, recently, when the apostle talks about the flesh, he really is talking about the flesh. Because the things that we enjoy in this world, they are fleshly. They are things which release chemicals into our bodies and, and we enjoy them, adrenaline for instance, and dopamine and, and different things which arise in our bodies when we are excited about something or when we're lusting after something and the body becomes addicted to all of those uh, chemicals and, and the corruption of the flesh. And the apostle says here, put to death your members which are upon the earth. Put to death fornication. Put to death uncleanness. 
Put to death inordinate affection. Put to death those evil lusts. Put to death covetousness. Seeking after the things of the world. In actual fact, the word covetousness there in the Greek means seeking more and more and more and more. Being greedy for the things of the world. Put it to death. That is idolatry. We are actually beginning to worship the things which our hearts lust after in this world. It's an idolatry. And the apostle says there needs to be an execution here. There needs to be an execution of the flesh. We need to put to death the flesh. But it's not just the execution of these things. We might all agree that fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, are clearly wrong and we should not be involved in them. Uh, If you are a Christian, if you name the name of Christ. But the apostle goes further and some say, well, we're not under law. We're under grace. So we don't need to worry too much about these things. We're cleansed from them. We're justified. So we don't need to worry about them. But as Paul says in in that chapter of Romans that we read together, what then shall we sin that grace may abound? What then should we sin? And he says, no, not, not in any sense. If you are dead to sin, why are you living in sin? If you are risen with Christ, you can't be living in sin. That's ridiculous. You have to question the fact, am I living in Christ if you're living in sin? So we can see these things, first of all, that need to be executed. These are the the corruptions of the flesh, which even the world sometimes will look upon and say, well, that's not right. Usually hypocritically, but nevertheless, they will do so. But the apostle goes a stage further and says there needs to be an expulsion also from us of other things he says in verse 8 but now ye and the word there for ye is an emphatic pronoun so he is saying you you in particular ye ye who are risen in christ don't only put off fornication and uncleanness and ordinate affection evil concupiscence covetousness which is idolatry which even some in the world would seek to put off but ye also put off all these Put off anger. Don't be angry. Put off wrath. Don't seek to judge others or have a hatred for men around you. Put off malice. Don't be malicious in your ways. Don't seek to to get at people or to do things to annoy them. And sometimes this kind of a maliciousness can be in us where where we just do things to annoy people. And that is malicious. That is because we don't like someone, perhaps. And we want to irritate them. Put that off. We don't need that, the apostle, the apostle says. Put off those things. Put off mal- uh, blasphemy. And here, blasphemy, when we think about blaspheming God, of course, that's the way we always think what blasphemy is. We used to have blasphemy laws in this country. There are many countries, of course, Islamic countries, which still have blasphemy laws. And they're talking about blaspheming, well, in the, in the case of Islam, blaspheming the prophet or blaspheming um, uh, the, 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 their God. But the word here for blasphemy really is evil speaking. It is, it is against anybody. It is talking about people behind their backs, for instance. It is saying, some, saying things maliciously about people. 
It, it connects then with that, with that malice that we're to put off. Blasphemy is just an evil speaking. It's, it's, it's running people down. It's just being nasty about people. Put that off. And filthy communication. So the language which is used in this country in these days. I confess that when I was a young man, I used to use it. Uh, I'm not sure there were uh, many uh, swear words that I didn't use. And I used them in great abundance as well before the Lord drew, drew me to himself. But now they're all over television, all over the radio, they're in newspapers even. And if they're not there, then the first and the last letter and some little stars are in there just so you know what was being said. Is it necessary? I did an A-level a um, number of years ago now, but uh, as an adult, in an evening class, and we had to read Death of a Salesman. And it's full of swearing all the way through. And there were three of us there, uh, Brenda, which some of you might remember, uh, and Andrew, her son, and me, we were all doing this A-level. And we had to read Death of a Salesman. So we refused to read the, the swear words. It didn't make any difference really to what was being said because you can say it without the swear words just by using emphasis. Just by using a tone. And so eventually the teacher didn't like that and so she stopped us from reading got somebody else to read it. Uh, so we had to listen to it instead. But I actually got out the, the film because it's, it's, it was available in a, in a film version and there was no swearing in it. Because at that time you weren't allowed to swear in that way on the film. There was no swearing in it. It didn't affect the book. It didn't affect the story. It wasn't necessary. And in this day and age still, it's not necessary. It's not necessary to, to preface every word with, a, with an F word. And even now, even worse words than that are being used. And the whole nation has been brought down to such a low standard of English... You can't really express yourself unless you're using some kind of expletive. And the apostle says, put that out of your mouth. We don't need that. Learn to speak. Learn to speak in love. Learn to speak and say the words that you want to say. You can express yourself without that kind of language. You don't need it. So don't use it. As those who are becoming the name of Christian Put off all these things. Execute those, those greater sins, but these things also put them away. Anger and wrath and malice and evil speaking and filthy communication. Put those things out of your mouth. You don't need those. And he goes on and says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Lie not one to another. This question often arises, doesn't it? Well, what do you mean by lie? What if, what if my wife buys a new hat and you don't really don't like it, but you don't want to offend her? Or what if there's a secret birthday party coming up and they're, they're catching on somehow? Say, you, you're, playing, you, you're playing a birthday party for me and you can't say that you are. And so there's some kind of a deceit. Is that a lie? Well, I kind of uh, say this, that in, in the Ten Commandments it says that we are not to bear false witness against our neighbour. There is an element of malice in the lie. If, if it is uh, uh, an obfuscation to save someone, 
to help someone. People have asked, well, what should they have done in Germany if the soldiers came and knocked on the door and said, do you have any Jews in your house? Should you say, well, yes, I do. And they ask where they are. Well, they're down in this cupboard here. Should you do that? Or should you lie and say, no, no, we don't. What do we do? And these kind of moral questions are often answered. But of course, the, the whole point here is the love of God and a desire after righteousness. Don't lie one to another. Speak the truth. And then we can help one another. We can pray one for another. We can encourage one another. And of course, that's the other aspect. And sometimes we want to lie because we are ashamed of something we're doing. And the response might be one of condemnation. But we're not to condemn one another either. So we have this expulsion of that which is bad. And then also we have this engagement. Because in verse 12, in response to that very thought there of how we react, the apostle says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind meekness long-suffering and if someone speaks some truth to us and we feel that there is a an error in them or some sin in them well then let us be kind let us be merciful let us have a humbleness a humility about us the apostle says that if one uh, errs from the way and someone else is able to bring them back to a path of righteousness, let them do it with meekness, lest they also be tempted. Not necessarily with the same sin, but just be tempted to say, well, you know, I can do that because I'm better than they are. And thus we fall into a similar situation that they had fallen into. Because most of our sins are some way connected to pride. But on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, Humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Of course, Jesus majored on this on a number of occasions. He says, if you don't forgive your neighbor their transgressions, neither will my heavenly Father forgive you yours. The apostle puts it the other way around, but he says, oh, Christ has forgiven you, and look where you were. Well, just remember that when people wrong you. And if they are uh, ready to be forgiven, then forgive them. Unto seven times? No, Jesus says unto 70 times seven. And they're representative numbers. It's not that it should be uh, uh, 490, is that right? I'm not quite very good at maths. 490 times, and then that's it. I've written it down, ticked them off. That's 490 of you. If you annoy me one more time, you've had it, mate. That's not what it means. But we are to continually forgive because Christ has forgiven us for far more than we will ever forgive anybody else. So that's the engagement then. We're engaging with Christ. Coming back to the verse at verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. What are those things which are above? Well, they are these things. Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Just turning to that, uh, those verses from James once again, uh, and the similar words, of course, 
The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. These are the things we are to seek. So there is something to be shunned and there is something to be embraced and to be taken to ourselves. And then finally, uh, and swiftly, just these thoughts of the practical application. The apostle adds something, and we don't want to go into the the details here, and in this day and age there might be all kinds of of, um, uh, disagreements or annoyances over what the apostle says, but basically he is saying this from verse 18 on, in a relationship of husband and wife, love one another, serve one another. Both words, husband and wife, both mean to care for the other. A husband man in the scripture is someone who looks after the vine and he gives himself to looking after the vine. He picks up uh, those trailing tendrils uh, that have got grapes upon them. He hooks them up onto the, onto the uh, trellis. He knows that it is a weak plant, that it needs to be cared for. And so he is caring and looks after that. A wife also, uh, on the other hand, uh, if we were to take the, the word wife as in a midwife, for instance, she is someone who cares. She is someone who, who ministers to. And so both of these, a husband and wife, we are to care for each other. There is an equality. There is a difference between husband and wife. There is a, an actual physical difference between men and, uh, and women. There's a genetic difference between men and women. There's a difference in thinking between men and women to the greatest extent. But nevertheless, we are to care one for another. And then children and fathers. Interesting here that it's fathers and not mothers. We often, uh, in this day and age, really equate the children with the mothers. And that's a great mistake. A great mistake. Fathers. And and let me tell you this, that in, in the judgment of God, fathers will answer. Fathers will answer for all of their offspring, even if they've never met them. The judgment of God will be upon them. And here it tells us, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children, lest they be discouraged. And we have in our uh, in our uh, version here, provoke not your children to anger. Well, that's in italic. Uh, just provoke not your children. Not necessarily to anger, but also to sadness, to weariness, to fear, to dread. Provoke not your children. And so here we have this relationship between a father and a child, between a husband and a wife. And then, thirdly, between servants and their masters. And you say, well, we don't have servants and masters these days. But we do. We do have servants and masters. If you're at work, then you're either the boss or you're the servant. You're either doing the work and the boss is telling you what to do. Or else you are the boss, so you're either the servant or the master. And perhaps you're a boss and there's another boss over you. In that case, you're both a servant and a master. But in all of these relationships, basically what I want to say, the practical application is, the Apostle Paul says, in generally in life, 
in your relationships within your home, in your relationships at work, wherever you may be, make sure that all of these things are sought after. Seek after the things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above. When he speaks to the servants in particular, he says that we are not to, to do our work with eye service, but that we should uh, do those things to the Lord. Verse 23, whatsoever ye do, do it heartily or with all your heart as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So this resurrection life, which is ours, not just thinking about what Christ has done, which so often we do at this time of the year, but examining our own selves and our own resurrection life, if you are Christ's and could say at the beginning of this message, yes, I know Jesus Christ. Let us make sure that those things apply over every aspect of our lives. That what we are at home, we are at work. What we are at work, we are at home. That we are gracious and kind, long-suffering, gentle. That we show these fruits of the Spirit that dwelleth in us.